Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, July the 19th, 2022. It is currently 8.31 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. What absolutely drives you crazy about the church, about Christians, and about Christianity? Now, I know I'm not supposed to ask that question. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, but we don't, I don't always go along with what I'm supposed to do on this broadcast, right? Okay, so let me ask you, what really irritates you sometimes about Christianity, uh, just in general, Christianity in general, the church at large, Christians, what is something that just absolutely drives you crazy? It just bothers you to no end. You've never quite understood it. It's always irritated you. And and no matter how much you try to go, you know what? Okay, maybe I'm thinking about this the wrong way. It just bothers you and bothers you and bothers you and bothers you. Now, I think a lot of times what bothers us is what expectations we have coming into Christianity. In other words, I think when you come, well, at least when I came into Christianity, I had a certain expectation. I had a certain idea of how it was going to be, what it was going to be like. And maybe you could say I was naive. And maybe you can say that after all of these years, I still haven't caught on, but it still bothers me. It drives me absolutely crazy. And I'll never, I just will never understand it. And, and maybe in some ways, that's the, maybe my attitude is wrong, but I know this. I've been bothered about by it since I literally probably within the first three or four months of being a Christian, I started getting irritated and it's only gotten worse and worse and worse all of these years. But I know this, whether my attitude has been right or whether my attitude has been wrong, all of my concern about this thing has proven to be a real problem. In fact, it's not even called a problem anymore. It's called a crisis, a crisis. Okay, I was bothered by it, and what I was bothered about became a crisis. So I at least feel somewhat justified that what I was yelling and screaming and complaining about pretty much my whole Christian life, I was on to something. Something wasn't right. Something wasn't right within the church. Something wasn't right within Christianity. And it turned into a crisis. I just wish I would have had a a better uh, understanding on what I should have done about it, because I don't think I always handled it in the correct way. I think in many cases, my approach, my attitude, probably I did more damage than I did good, but I was bothered by something. Now, let me explain what I was bothered by. I would love to get your answers. I would love to get your answers. You can tell me if you if you if you want to email me newsif at yahoo.com, you can say, no, this is what bothers me about Christianity. I guarantee you are 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 probably the things that bother us are extremely different, but I think it has a lot to do with your your experience. And again, I think what you what you thought Christianity was going to be like. I think those who were raised in the church, their expectation, I mean, they already know what to expect. They were raised in the church. But if you weren't raised in the church and you're coming from the outside like I did as a teenager, <laughs> you have all kinds of weird romanticized idea of what it's going to be like. And <laughs> someone said, uh, the music. Well, okay. Yeah, that, well, the, to, 
We could we could talk all day about my frustrations with uh, Christianity and music, but okay, um, that that's that's a good one. But that's that's not mine. But that's a good one. All right, here. So let me try to explain this. All right, I'm going to try to explain this, and hopefully this turns out to be an interesting conversation. We'll see. All right, here we go. Here's what happened to me. The night I got saved, First Baptist Church, Tuscola, Texas. Right. I don't know if this. I don't know if the same pews are there, but but the church is still there. The night I got saved, when everything was said and done, and it was a whole crazy experience, but everything that happened, when the night when that was over, before I got ready to go back home, the pastor handed me a Bible. Right? I've told this story millions of times, but this is just very relevant here. And again, sometimes you have to tell the same stories because the only story I can really tell is my story because I know that story, right? So here we go. So he hands me a Bible. Many of you know what I'm getting ready to say. And he said, this is the inspired word of God. Whoa. All right. So I held it in my hand. And I remember just walking out of the front door of First Baptist Church, Tuscola, Texas, walking to my car. And all I could think as I was walking to my car was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, so let me try to figure out and understand this. There's a God. I didn't quite understand everything about God, Jesus. I didn't understand everything. I was still, I mean, I, I mean I'd been a Christian now for like 15 minutes, right? But I'd be like, okay, there's a God, all right? And my, I had some concept that God would obviously be more powerful. He would be smarter. He'd be wiser. I, I, I had some concept that he would have been the one who obviously made the world. I had certain concepts of God, just very basic. And I'm like, okay, so there's a God and he's given me his word. I didn't quite understand the doctrine of inspiration or any of that, or, you know, any of that textual variants, manuscripts, you know, translations, just this, this book that I, that's now been placed in my hand. It's the words of God. God, there's a God and he's given me his word. I remember sitting it next to me on the passenger on the passenger seat as I was driving home. I just kept looking. I'm like, okay, there's a God and that book has his words in it. Like, like there's any, a, a God out there and he, this is it. Like, I don't have to go look for it. I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to try to, it's right there. It's, it's right next to me. And I remember going home, right? First night of being saved, stayed up. All night, read the entire New Testament. Boom, all right? Within a first week, I'd read the entire Old Testament. So basically within a week of salvation, I'd read from Genesis to Revelation. Within a week, probably even less than a week. I remember carrying it everywhere I went and I read and read and read and read. I was skipping school to go break into the church so that I could sit there and read the Bible and read the Bible and read the Bible. I'm not saying that I always handled myself in the right way or, 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 or godly way, but I was just saying, I, I was like, okay, there, this, this book, all right, it's the word of God. All right. Awesome. Awesome. So my, and my immediate, again, this is my expectation. Well, then Christians, they, they probably love this thing. I mean, they probably read it. They probably study it. They probably memorize it. They probably talk about it. It's probably the, they probably get so excited about it. Okay. All right, let's go. And then I started finding out, wait, so, so what did you read? What did you, what did you study? What, what, did you listen to a sermon? Wait, did you, I, did you read that? Okay. Did anybody do anything? And then I would be like, because I, I was a teenager, I'd tell the other teenager, okay, hey, Friday night, look, we, I can break into the church. I, I didn't even think about asking the pastor for a key, but I'm like, I can break in here. We can come up here Friday night and we could, like, we could read Leviticus or we could, we could, we could read, we could read the minor prophets. And they're just looking at me like, 
are you broken? I'm like, nobody wants to. And I can remember being in there in the, in the sanctuary on Friday nights, sitting there with my Bible going, there's no, nobody wants to read. Nobody wants to study. And then, oh, they're going to have quote unquote church fellowships. Oh, oh, so this is going to be a bunch of Christians. Okay. Oh, this is going to be great conversation. Talking about everything other than scripture, no, no Bible, no doctrine. I'm sitting there trying to ask people doctrinal questions, theological questions, biblical questions. Well, wait a minute. Why does it say this here, but it says here, and I don't understand this, and I don't understand this, and I don't, and nobody wants to talk anything. And I'm like, so nobody cares? No, nobody. And, and, and the reason I want to tell the story from a teenage perspective is like, you can't say, well, you were a minister. No, no, no. I was just a teenager going, hey, everyone. And then I read verses like, hey, we should desire the word of God more than gold and silver, more than the honey and the honeycomb. I'm like, whoa, I should desire God's word more than money or food. Wait, oh, ha, that we are to meditate on God's word day and night. Oh, well, I'm to meditate on it day and night as a, as a newborn babe. I should desire the sincere milk of the word that I may grow thereby. And that, that every word is inspired by God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, that the man of God can be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. I'm like, oh, Okay, study to show yourself approved. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. And I'm like, oh man, okay, okay, man, I'm going to read, I'm going to study. But I could not seem to find anybody else who who cared. And and if we needed, if we need to cancel something at church, right, because we've got a, a picnic or we got a fellowship or we got a potluck or we got an ice cream social, whatever other nonsense. And I didn't even understand that. I was like, wait a minute. And then when the youth group, they're like, we're going to have a pizza party or we're going to play capture the flag. I was like, I don't need you to entertain me. I've got that down. I want to study the, oh, okay, never mind, never mind. And I was so just, I didn't understand. I didn't understand. I was so confused. So I found, and I really mean this. Praise God. I found Christian radio where there was, oh, there was Bible teaching. I'm like, okay, so boom, I can listen and listen, 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 listen. Now, I finally got so frustrated with the the Baptist church because they wouldn't answer any theological questions or anything that I ended up becoming a Lutheran because at least there was doctrine and theology. But then I was like, wait, one church service a week? So I would call every, I was calling every Lutheran church I could find. Do you have a Bible study? Do you have anything going on? Anything? Anything? Does anyone do anything? Any? Is there a church anywhere that does anything? I don't want a potluck. I don't want a picnic. I don't want to play capture the flag. I don't want to go to Six Flags. I just want someone to care about the Bible. So then I found a book on Bible study methods. And I'm like, okay, man, I don't care what anybody did. Study, 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 study. It's God's word. It's God's word. Now, please hear me out. I was still having all kinds of sin problems and struggling with sin. And I had all kinds of issues in my life. I, it's not that I was acting like I was more better than everyone else. I just thought that like at a basic level, like, okay, there's, there's like trying to live holy. There's trying to be godly. There's overcoming sin. But like at a basic level, you think like, you know, where does Christianity start with? The Bible. What, what's the basic response to it? Love it, desire it, feed upon it, memorize it, meditate on it. Like, like just, like just basic stuff. But I, it just seemed like nobody was that interested in it. It just seemed like nobody really cared that much. And I'm like, there's a problem here. There's a problem. And I struggled with that wherever, wherever I would go. I, I found sometimes the same issues 
church after church after church. Now, if there were men who were called to ministry, oh, they love sermons and they love the Bible. Okay, great. But what about the, the average person sitting in the pew? Oh, I found some who did love God's word and study God's word. But there was just always this apathy, complacency, take it or leave it. There was always a little bit of that there. I'm not saying that it was everywhere. And maybe at times I, it was more exaggerated in my own mind, but I just didn't understand. Now, when I was like on campus at Grace University in Omaha, Nebraska, or I was at some other Bible college, oh man, I love that. There were people who are talking about the Bible and oh man, that was a great, that was like, oh, you know, hallelujah, this is the greatest place on earth. Everyone here wants to talk about the Bible. But then when I would go back to church, it was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. And it's like, you know, cancel preaching for anything, but because we've got to have our entertainment. And I just, I didn't understand. So I started complaining and talking and talking and about that. Hey, there's a, there's an apathy towards the word of God. There's not a hunger for the word of God. There's a problem in the church. There's a problem. And I just kept saying that and saying that. And a lot of people just saying I was legalistic. I was too judgmental just because not everyone reads. It's not that big a deal. And I, and, and, and I, yes, make it very clear. There were times when my attitude was not good. I, I don't want you to think that I had it all together. I didn't always handle it the right way. I was, I was basically in many cases a condescending jerk. Okay. So I definitely didn't always have it together, but it got worse and worse. And, worse. and then I started seeing the surveys and the, uh, the, the different polling and, and the different studies that were coming out. And I started hearing warnings in Bible college and in seminary. Look, guys, we got a problem. We've got a biblical illiteracy problem growing in the church, and it's getting worse by the day. This is an epidemic. This is a pandemic. This is a crisis. And I'm like, wait, you're telling me it's a crisis? And I'm like, okay, I'm, I, 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 I knew it. I knew it. And I was like, okay, okay, I wasn't crazy. I wasn't crazy. But I'm like, what do we do? Right now, I've never heard a lot of good answers. But the reason I'm saying all of that is because I woke up this morning. The internet was actually working for a few minutes. Immediately, I grabbed my iPad. Like, I got to listen to something. I got to make sure I listen to something. And so I looked over and uh, there was an episode from Haven Today. Don't always agree with their doctrine. Don't always agree with their theology. I kind of liked the Haven Today podcast years. Well, it was the radio program then. I think I liked their structure better then, but they still talk about some interesting things. And again, I, just, I listened to everything. But I saw this thing. In fact, I'm going to go to... Uh, my podcast app, because I think I still have it. Pa- I paused it right at the moment where I was like, oh, this is, this is good. Here's, here was the episode. Hiding God's word, the crisis of biblical illiteracy. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. 2022, someone's acknowledging there's biblical illiteracy. I thought we forgot about this problem. There was a time that everyone was talking about it. And then all of a sudden it's like, everyone's like, yeah, well, we give up. All right. But no, no, they're still acknowledging it's a crisis. And I'm like, okay, this is good. Now, it's Haven Today. If you've ever listened to it, yet you can't go into Haven Today going, ooh, this is going to be some deep theological discussion. No, it's pretty surface. It's pretty basic. But I'm going to at least play part of this so where you can at least hear in context the little brief thing they have to say about biblical illiteracy. Now, their solution to biblical illiteracy 
as well. Basically, everyone needs to buy this book and everyone needs to then start doing a certain thing. But it may not be the thing that you think. It's kind of weird to me. Um, you may think it's a part of the solution. I, I, I think there's another part of the pro- problem. I think there's another part of the problem. And then what was weird is I did. I had a, a friend in Nebraska today. He was talking about something and uh, he made a comment about biblical illiteracy or the lack of biblical knowledge among Christians. And I was like, so I woke up, biblical illiteracy is being talked about. Then one of my friends in Nebraska today mentions it. I didn't say anything to him. I was just kind of like, okay, I'm like, that's, that's two times. All right. We've got to talk about this. So we're going to listen to this and, and, and don't, don't go, oh, well, that really wasn't much. That's okay. That's okay. I, I'm not playing this so that they have the big answer. I just want you to see that it's being discussed today on a Christian podcast. So we're going to talk about it, but we'll we'll do our typical, you know, my obsessive compulsive, take, you know, spend 13 hours talking about. It. I'll try not to take 13 hours, but we'll 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 try to take it apart. All right. So are you ready? I, I hope this is going to be beneficial. All right. From Haven today, this is uh, Hiding God's Word episode three. I think they started. I don't even know when the first episode was. Um, you, you can you can look at Haven today. You can find it on all the podcast apps. And you can, like I said, sometimes their episodes are good. Yeah, you, whatever. You can draw your own conclusion. Here we go. This is what I heard first thing this morning. Welcome to Haven Today. And our third day in a series we're calling Hiding God's Word. I'm Charles Morris sharing the great story that's all about Jesus And soon we'll be joined again by Aaron House, the leader of a ministry called Piercing Word. His purpose, and his ministry's purpose, is to help Christians hide God's Word in their hearts. And he believes it's important to do this, because you never know when you're going to need to do spiritual battle. Stop right here. I think you already get an idea. They're going to mention biblical illiteracy, the crisis of biblical illiteracy. But they believe, or at least what's being put forth as the solution, is for Christians to start memorizing the Bible. Now, I, I at times, I'll, I go through these spells like, okay, I'm going to focus on Bible memory, and then I'll get... I'll start focusing on something else. We have the Bible memory app that we, we at times, I, I get everyone to, to pull out and use, and, and, and we give verses for people to memorize, and it's what a three-step or four-step pro- process that the app uses to help you memorize Scripture. But I do believe Bible memory is important. But let me ask you a question. Is it possible that you could memorize Genesis to Revelation, but in one sense, still be biblically illiterate. Now, I know that sounds like a contradiction, but I wonder if it's possible that you can memorize the whole thing, but still, still be biblically illiterate. I think it's possible. And I think the problem isn't the lack of biblical memorization. I think there's a different problem. I think biblical memory would would help do what I think needs to be done. All right. All right. Someone said yes. Someone said yes. Okay, good. One person said yes. All right. So so I have at least confirmation because out of the mouth of two or three, a thing is conformed. Okay. I know I'm taking a scripture way out of context there. Okay. But yeah, uh, so good. At least one person. I, I, I believe that you can memorize it, 
but still, in a, in a sense, be illiterate, be biblically illiterate. I, I do believe that's a problem. So I'm going to focus on that problem. They're going to focus on memorize, and they're going to talk to this ministry where there's this, uh, the person of this ministry has memorized, I think, the 20-something books of the Bible. It's some amazing thing that he has done. It's amazing that he's memorized that much scripture. And so by no means am I diminishing his accomplishment, what he has done, but my thing is, you've memorized it, but is it possible you're still biblically illiterate? Now, I'm not here to prove whether he is or isn't, I just want to listen to them talk about biblical illiteracy so that I can put forth my thoughts on this. Here we go. It could be driving home from work today. It could be this coming weekend when you're checking emails on a computer for Aaron and his wife, Emily. One battle came after having several miscarriages, and they began to question the goodness of God. But the Lord used a psalm to minister to them a psalm that Aaron had committed to memory. He'll share more of that story in that psalm with us in just a moment. And then we're going to look together to God's Word. Then after the program, I want to send you the book written by Aaron and Emily House. It's called Warriors of the Word, the Bible Memorization Battle Guide for Winning Spiritual Victories. I'm going to assume that you're like me. You want to hide God's holy word in your heart, but sometimes remembering it can be a bit of a struggle. Well, this book was written to help Christians like you and me to memorize Scripture, and it takes in mind all the different ways we have in learning and gives some really fun techniques to us in the process. If it could help me, I know it can help you prepare for coming spiritual battles that you're going to face in life. Remember, the Word is our only offensive weapon. So why not have it ready in your heart with the help of this book? You can learn more about Warriors of the Word by visiting our website at haventoday.org, haventoday.org, or call us at 800-65-HAVEN, 800-65-HAVEN. And just before we hear our first song, we still have those DVD copies of The Most Reluctant Convert, the untold story of C.S. Lewis's conversion to Christ for your gift to the ministry. I'm Charles Morris. This is Haven Today, and the program is called Hiding God's Word. Back in 2018, GQ, a men's fashion magazine, listed the top 21 books no one should read. It may not surprise you to know that the Bible was high on that list. Repetitive, foolish, outdated These were the words they used to describe the word of life. And when I heard that. When I heard that this morning, I started laughing. Okay, okay, GQ says the Bible, you shouldn't read the Bible. Okay, big deal. And but Christians will get offended by that. You know, I'm surprised that there wasn't like boycott GQ. I've never read it, but I'm going to boycott it. And oh, no, they said we shouldn't read the Bible. Oh, boy, I'm really offended. I'm really mad. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't read it. (laughs) <laughs> so why are you upset about it? Okay. Christians get so mad when someone mocks the Bible or, or criticizes the Bible or rejects the Bible. But it's like, my problem is not, I don't care what the world says about the Bible. They get mad, they mock it, they, whatever. They're the world. They're ungodly. My issue is the attitudes toward the word of God in the church, not outside the church. 
So, okay, GQ, like, don't read it. Okay. My question is not why, why, I don't care why GQ doesn't want to read it. I want to know why Christians in the church don't seem that interested in studying it or talking about it or even it that seem that interested in it. That that's where I want to go. But all right, so this is interesting. GQ is like, hey, it's repetitive, it's foolish. Don't read it. Okay, God, thank you, GQ, greatly. Most people turn to GQ to get a theological advice, all right? That's where I always go. They're like, hey, so when, when someone uh, emails me a theological question, I'm like, give me a minute, give me, give me a minute. I got to go look up GQ issues and see if I can find something in GQ about what I should do theologically. Okay, typically I don't look to them for advice on A, a what books to read, B, what books not to read. Okay, I don't really look to them for that. Okay, but all right, all right, all right. Just, just joking. Everyone remain calm. Let's see where this is going to go. I thought what you might be thinking now have they ever even read the Bible? Because if they had, they wouldn't be saying that. But in today's world, sadly, many Christians seem to be taking GQ's advice. The church in the Western world is in a crisis, but it's a crisis we don't hear about very often. Illiteracy, biblical illiteracy, increasing numbers of Christians who do not read their Bibles every day. They can't identify key verses or stories from God's Word, and maybe worst of all, mistakenly ascribe certain phrases to the Bible. It is a problem. Recent surveys show that only about a third of professing Christians read their Bibles regularly. So many believers walking around without the Word in their hands and without the Word in their hearts. Aaron House wants to change that. I met up Okay, now they go talk to him about Bible memory, and you, you can go listen to the rest of the episode. Uh, the rest of the episode, that's okay. Their focus is there's a crisis in the church. There's Christians all over the place walking around without the Bible in their hand or in their heart, and we've got a crisis. Biblical illiteracy, and that Christians seem to be taking the advice of GQ. Don't read the Bible, and the church is like, yeah, I'm right there with you, buddy. I'm not going to read it. No, Christians get offended when they hear that, but the fact is they're not reading it. What, what absolutely floored me is when I was in seminary and, and we were being, uh, we, the, the different seminary professors said this, different schools made the same kind of comments, is that there was a time that when you got freshmen in, say to Bible college or seminary, that a, a good portion, a, a lot of those freshmen, a lot of them came from Christian homes. In other words, they were raised in the church. They went to youth group. They were in church. They have a lifetime of being around the Bible, being in church. But what was absolutely shocking to the seminary professors, as many of those kids who were raised in the church, when they get to seminary, you almost have to start back over with like, you know, all right, we're going to start with Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible, Okay. It talks about God creating heaven. Like you almost have to start from the beginning because they they were shocked by how these kids who went to church their whole life just did not know basic things, didn't know basic chronological order of certain stories or when this person lived versus this person lived. There was just all these things. And they were like, you almost have to spend the first year of, of seminary or Bible college basically doing what the church should have been doing. The church should have been doing its job and it wasn't. But so there's a lot of blame on on the church in that situation, but it once again demonstrates, though, the amount of illiteracy within the church. 
So I am going to argue that it's not Bible memory that's needed. I think it's, it's not the, I don't think it's the answer. I think it's maybe a part of a solution, but it's not the answer. I'm going to focus on something else. And you already know where I'm going to go with this. We have to get Christians who will actually study the Bible. And hear me out. You can memorize a scripture. You can memorize it. And then you can walk right out of your room from memorizing it and then quote it and misapply it and can become, and, and give a wrong interpretation of it. It's great that you memorized it. But if you memorize, I don't know, something in Jeremiah and tell people that, hey, God knows the plans he has for you to bless you and not to harm you, clearly they don't understand the verse. They're still illiterate because they're applying it to something other than people who are coming out of Babylonian captivity, right? So that, and I, I, and I didn't listen to the rest of this to determine the psalm that supposedly ministered to them because I was fearful that I would look at that psalm and go, whoa, what what has happened here? I'm hoping that's not the case, but that was my concern. You can memorize it, but if you are misunderstanding it, not only misapplying it, misinterpreting it, you're, you're, you're using it for wrong reasons, then it's great that you've memorized it, but you're still illiterate about it. We need Christians who are actually studying the Bible, actually studying study methods, actually taking it apart. And there is a problem there. Now, there was a time where I blamed the church. Right? That's where I usually put the blame here. Churches are not doing, they're not teaching, they're not equipping. And I still, by all means, I still think that's a problem. Let me make it very clear. I still think the average church does very little to teach people how to study the Bible, teach people hermeneutics, to actually, and in many cases, even the sermons are questionable and they're hermeneutic and their Bible study methods in order to put the sermon together. I, I think there's lots of issues there that can be critiqued, but I've reached a point where I'm tired of blaming the church. I now feel the blame is in the pew, not the pulpit. Now, there used to be a time I think people were like, yeah, get the church. The church is not doing its job. But now I'm like, I, I have a problem here. And this was my, my friend from Nebraska was making the same kind of comment today that he was, I think he, in his comment, he talked about that he, you know, it, he, he says a lot of it, it's the fault of the average Christian. I have a hard time now with the average Christian claiming they're biblically illiterate because they go to a bad church when they have access to so much. They've got every English translation ever written available for free right there on the palm of their hand on their phone. We can talk about, just take sermon audio, just take sermon audio. How many? I don't even know. I'd have to look up the numbers. Well over 2 million sermons the Edify Christian Podcast app, over 2 million Christian podcasts. You have access to more spiritual food and, and an hour of your life than most Christians had access to in the entirety of their life. You have access to everything. You can look up the Greek, the Hebrew. You can look up where a word is used. I mean, you have topical Bibles. You've got Bible dictionaries, Bible encyclopedias. You've got everything you could ever need. 
So there was a time I blamed the church, and the church still bears responsibility. But here is when it comes to the crisis of biblical illiteracy, here's what I've never been able to figure out. Here's what I've never been able to figure out. Why is it that some Christians just don't seem to care? Now, there was a time in my Christian life, they're not saved, they're not saved, but that's then making the, uh, basically the, uh, so that a requirement for salvation is, you know, sufficient Bible study and sufficient Bible knowledge. That, that becomes almost a works-based system. There was a time I would do that. Well, that proves they're not saved. That proves they're not saved. But if you go with that logic, then there's nobody saved, okay? Because the church at large has a pri- problem here. No, we're saved by our faith in Jesus Christ. I, I, so I don't like making this a, somehow, this proves you're saved because it just becomes, basically becomes works. So I'm going to look at this as you've got real Christians who truly believe in Christ, but they just seem to have no hunger, no desire for the word of God. And it seems to have only gotten worse. So let's do this. If you're listening live, you can, you can participate if you want. You don't have to. I'm going to grab a notebook here. And this part I haven't worked on. Let's try to come up with five, five reasons Christians lack a hunger and desire for God's word. All right. Five reasons. I don't know if we can come up with five, but we're going to try five reasons. If nobody else offers anything up, then it's going to be up to me to come up with five. And then I may look really foolish if I don't come up with a total of five, but that's okay. We'll see. Five reasons. Christians lack a hunger and desire for God's word. Now I'm just going to throw out a couple of thoughts here before we I try to come up with these five. I want to make sure I say this because um, there was a time in my Christian life I did not understand this. Now I'm a little bit more gracious on this because remember when I became a Christian, I started struggling with this as a teenager way before I ever started thinking Bible college or becoming a pastor. Way before that, I was already having a problem with my fellow Christians who didn't seem to care about God's word. I didn't understand it because they're always talking about the Bible is the word of God. It's perfect. It's infallible. You better not question it. You better not doubt it. You better not, you know, reject it. You better not mock it. It's the word of God. And I, I heard all kinds of big talk about it. It just, it, to me, the, the Bible is like exercise equipment. Everyone buys exercise equipment and then it just sits in the corner as a coat rack. Nobody uses it, but everyone buys it. It's like everyone buys a Bible and it just becomes a dust collector. I, I don't get it. Okay, but but so, but so I want to make sure you see that I, that I did figure something out and I think there's truth to this. I realized that number one, I could not hold anyone to some perceived standard or level of Bible involvement based on what I was doing or what I was reading, even though there was a time I did. I didn't, because I just viewed them, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, what's your problem? But I do realize that if one is pursuing ministry for like a job, for like their 
their, their lifelong calling, their vocation, I think it would be expected that that person is going to have a greater hunger and a greater desire for God's word, for theology, for church history than the average lay person. I don't think you can compare the average lay person to a pastor. A pastor should have more hunger, more desire, more thirst, more everything for the word of God. I, I think that that is, that is true. And I, when, I think sometimes that that is, uh, can, can be a, a conflict between the people in the pew and the person in the pulpit person in the pulpit's like, why don't you people care? Because they're comparing the people to them and they've dedicated their life to reading and studying. And I think that there can be conflict there. So you can't do that. I think that's, that's a no-no. But even though after you realize, don't make that mistake, which I made, I've made so many mistakes in my Christian life, it's hard to even count all of them. Okay. But I made that mistake. But even, once you remove that mistake, there's still a problem. I mean, it's still a crisis. Because there's still no excuse for the lack of concern or desire. So we have to ask ourselves, why? Why? What are some reasons? Well, let's go with number one. I'm not putting them in order of importance. Just number one. Now, nobody in chat has given me one, right? But hopefully they will. Number one. I'm going to put distraction. I'm going to put distraction and I'm going to put that in the most morally neutral terminology as I can, just a distraction. I'm not calling it a fleshly distraction. I'm not calling it a worldly distraction. I'm just calling it a distraction. All right. There is no question. If you look at society, right, just look at society and you, and you can do this. If you'll just look at TV ratings, if you go back 10, 15, 20 years, the, an average show, an average TV show may have, who knows, you know, 10 million people watching it, 5 million people, some crazy number. And today that same show or a show like it would, is lucky to get a million, or lucky to get 2 million. And, 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 and it's, it's caused, raised lots of questions in the TV industry. What's going on? And well, you, you start figuring out what's going on. They get a million options. There's a million things available to them. There is a million things available to them. And because so many things are available, that just leads to distraction for every day. You can, man, there is, you got social media, you got movies, you got music, you've got, there's just so much around. It's overwhelming. We're drowning in options. I'm not even referring to this in a fleshly, sinful, ungodly way. It's just the Bible it's just one of about a bazillion other options. It's just, I mean, it's just one of a bazillion. I know you're saying, no, 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 no. It's the word of God. You can talk all day about what it is. It becomes just another, it's, it's just becomes one of many options. Just one of many. There, there's no way to get it. We are distracted to death. We we have we we have so many options that there isn't any way to even, there isn't even any way to try to process how many options we have. It is crazy how many options we have. And I think that we have to acknowledge distractions. Now, what do we do to help Christians with those distractions? I don't know. I don't know if there's an easy answer 
because if 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 the uh, because sometimes the people are willingly distracted. But I think all you can do is say, hey, look, I know when you wake up today, there's a million things going on and there's a million things available to you. Maybe just try, try to put time in and God's word. Now, I think you also can, as a church, you just offer your people, look, whatever I can do, you tell me and I'll do it. I always say that from a Christian podcasting perspective. You tell me what you need, boom, I'm turning on the microphone, I'll do it. You need a devotional message, boom. You need a theological message, boom. You need me to do a Bible study exercise, I'll do it. You need me to answer a Bible question, boom, I'll do it. You just just turn on, whatever you need, I'm there to do that. I'm there to do that. That's that's my job. I mean, what, what's, what's the point of, of I mean, there, there's no point if you're not doing it, if you're not doing that. And some churches don't seem that interested in doing that. But um, I think the distractions, it's just, it's hard. Look, look, I... I say this. I say this as not someone who's figured this out, but as someone who who constantly struggles with it. Look, I'm one of those people. I've said it my entire life. I've never been bored for five seconds in my life because I I will I find there's always so much to do in life, right? Um, now, when I would be at work, sometimes I would get bored with people's conversations, but then I would immediately go into, I'm going to change this situation and make it more interesting, okay? But there, there's always, like, if you just give me time, I'm not going to be bored. People like, 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 you could keep me in a house, never leave, and never see a person for 70 years, and I don't, I'm never going to get bored because there's just too much. Do you know how much is available to us in this world? I can listen to basically every album that's ever been made in the history of music. Okay, I don't know how one can be bored. I can just start going, I'm going to listen to every major album from the 1950, 1951. I'll go back to 1940. I'm going to I'm going to listen to every album in this genre. You just name it. I can I can just I can I can come up with all, all kinds of things. I'm this this day I'm going to just focus on 2010 or or, or this this or I I can always come up with these crazy ideas of things to do that you know keep me I could I could stay busy for the rest of my life just with music. And then, wait, on a Kindle? I have access to basically every book that's ever been written. Okay, I can say I'm gonna read, I'll find out what was the number, the the number one books uh for 1978. Okay, what were the number one? And I'll go, I'm gonna read all the books that were number one in 1970. I can always come up with these little ideas. Okay, then. You basically have access to every movie ever made, every television show. Okay, I'm going to look for all the movies, uh, let's see, all the movies that were made in 1982. Okay, there we go. I'll start with that. I'll just, I'll create lists. I mean, I, I can find a million things to do. Never bored. There, There's art, there's music, there's poetry, there's novels, there's literature, there's history. I mean, how, I mean life is insane how much is available to us. It's just insane how much is available to us. I, it's, it's just, I, I have a hard time every day going, no, 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 no. Stop, 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 stop. Okay. I got to spend time in God's word. I, I am distracted. It's like, it's, it's so over. I feel like I'm drowning every day and all the things I want to do. I feel like I'm drowning every day. Oh, I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do that. I feel like I'm drowning. So what I've tried to do is say, okay, morning, afternoon, evening, late at night. I'm going to try to find at least four times in a day to do something spiritual, something. Read something, a devotional, 
read if I'm working on a Bible study exercise, read that passage again, grab grab just a Christian podcast, even if I can't listen to all of it, 10, 15 minutes, or I'll go on sermon sermons 2.0 app, look at whatever, look at whatever sermon is new, just or just look at anything and just crap and start listening. Maybe I only get 15 minutes in. Maybe I only get 20 minutes in, maybe only 10 minutes. But if I can hear something that I can walk away with something spiritual that I can think and process over. So that's what I've tried to do. I don't always accomplish that. I fail miserably because I will find myself, guess what? Being distracted, who knows, involved in some marathon, <laughs> involved in some reading something, doing something, come up with some clever idea. Oh, today I'm going to do this. You know, and, and, you know, today I'm going to read about, you know, ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. That, that's what I'll do. I'll study that today. Oh, wait, wait. It's the anniversary of Roswell. I'll go read everything I can find on Roswell today. Oh, wait, wait, wait. It's the, it's the anniversary access to every drug that was ever made for free. It's like, it's like, that's basically what it's like for us in life. It's like, here's everything you could ever want. And we're like, nah, I'm, I, we're, I'm bored. I don't get it. But it can take us and distract us from the word of God, right? So there's distraction. Number two. Oh, we're going to run out of time. Number two. I'm going to put we are more fleshly minded than spiritual. Can we just be honest? We're more fleshly minded. We just mind the things of the flesh. We desire the things of, we're just more fleshly than we are spiritual. We can talk all day and say, no, 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 we're just fleshly. Guess what is more appealing to us normally? The flesh, not scripture. It's not, I'm not saying this in a condemning way. I'm right there with you. My flesh, man, I like doing this. And I like doing this. And I like doing this. And I like doing that. Like, 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 like God's word takes time. It takes a, it takes effort. Now I, I do. Well, okay. I'll just say that. All right. I'll just say that, that we are more fleshly minded than spiritual. I think we can agree. Number three, how do we put this? How do I put this one? How do I put this? I'm going to put this down as personality personality attributes. Personality attributes. You know this and I know this. There are some people, this is nothing negative against them, reading, study, notebooks, pencils, listening to lectures, reading books. That's just not, they're not, that's not in their personality. They've never been that way. It, it's never been there. They, they've never really been the, 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 you know, the one to study, one to read. They would be the one avoiding the library, not running to the library. The library would be a torture chamber, not a, a place of great blessing. They don't want to listen to lectures. They don't want to read books. They don't, they don't want, they don't even like to take sermon notes. They're just, it's just not in their personality. It's just not them. That's going to make it a problem because I, sometimes I always feel bad for people like that. I always feel bad for, for people like that. And so sometimes I'll joke. I'm like, man, 
you probably should have picked a religion where the revelation from God wasn't placed in a book. Okay, you probably should have chose a different religion because you've you're a Christian. Obviously, I believe God chooses us, but in a joking manner, I'm like, you know, you really picked a religion where God's given His revelation and a completed form, and a book that requires you to read, and then he tells you to read it, and tells you to study it, tells you to memorize it, and tells you to meditate on it. But just some people's personal attributes, they're, they're, they're just the thought of just sitting at a table with a Bible, a notebook, and a bunch of reference tools, it probably sends chills down their body. It's probably like they would rather be kidnapped by a serial killer. It goes against everything in there, where some of us are like, whoa, you want to sit down at a table and you want Bible reference tools, a notebook, and you want to study? Folks, come on over. I'm, 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 wait, I'm, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just told you I want to do that. Well, I'm here. I'm here. Let's go. Let's go. No, 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 no. I need you to go away. No, no. You said, I, I heard what you said. I'm here. I'm here. No, you got to leave. No, I'm staying for the night. We're, we're here all night right there at the table. Get, get everything right. Let's pop some popcorn. We're going. I, that's to me like. That sounds fun. Well, other people, that sounds like, what are you doing? So we got to at least account for that, right? Personal attributes. Some people just, that's not their thing. That, that's, 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 that they have to at least acknowledge. There's no way to help them with that other. (coughs) Nothing worse than to start coughing right when you're trying to make a point. There's no easy way to help them. I think what you can do is instead of saying, which my my motive, my way of handling it is always like, come on, what's your problem? Study, it's God's word. I think what you can do is say, you know what? I'm sorry that this goes so much against your personality. I hate that. But it's really what you're kind of called to do. So, how can I help you? Like, try to make it like a, a something positive that you can say, hey, I'll sit down with you. I'll work with you. Whatever you can do and whatever situation that would be acceptable that you can help someone. Um, because I, I feel bad for people like that. I do because on one hand, they're called to know the word of God. There's, there's got to be a sense where they live in maybe some sense of guilt. Now, what bothers me is people who, who are just like, Look, not going to study, never going to study, leave me alone. I've had people, Christians, basically tell me that. I'm never going to do the Bible study methods, so stop teaching them. I'm just, I, I don't care. And you're like, whoa, okay, sorry, wow. Now, I think it's because of a sense of guilt. They know that in some sense they're supposed to be reading and studying God's word, and so it probably heaps guilt upon them. But sometimes that that attitude towards me makes me very angry, and I'm like, no, you're the problem, not me, but okay. Sometimes you got to be, see past the words and see what's going on on the inside. But I think there's personal um, attributes. Number four, so distraction. We're more fleshly uh, minded than spiritual. Number three, personal attributes. And number four, what do we do with number four? What do we do with number four? I'm going to say, I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm going to put, they don't know how. Now, in some ways this bothers me, 
But I do believe that there are a lot of Christians out there who have no clue how to study the Bible. They've never been taught. They don't know a Bible study. They don't know a devotional method from a thematic method, from a biographical method, from a a verse-by-verse analysis method. They don't know any of the methods because they've never been taught the methods. Now, I've said and I've listened and seen too many sermon series, how to study the Bible. And I'm like, ooh, I'm going to listen to it. And almost 99% of every one of those sermon series, I walk away wanting to scream and rip my hair out of my head because I'm like, what was that? You basically just, uh, here's a concordance, read, do some cross-referencing. Like, you didn't even really give them a method. It just like, you just, it was so vague. You didn't really give them anything tangible. When you're going to teach people how to study the Bible, you got to give them, here's the method, Here are the steps of the method. Step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, step six. You've got to to give them something. If they don't know how, how, what do you expect? They're going to just, they're going to grab a devotional, maybe. Maybe they'll read that. But they don't really know how to study the Bible in any meaningful way. That's the church's fault. The church is at fault for that. We have a responsibility to teach people the how. Remember, the purpose of the church is to equip saints. If you don't even equip them how to study the Bible, I mean, I really, you have to call into question your entire ministry. Hey, I've been preacher for 15 years and never taught uh, uh, one Bible study method. Woohoo! I've been equipping people. What have you been equipping them in? Because hey, getting people to know how to study the Bible should be like step number one. Right? Number five, we have distraction. We're more fleshly minded than spiritual. Number three, um, we are our personality attributes. Number four, they people just don't know how. And number five, I'm going to put spiritual apathy. They just spiritually don't care. Remember the the famous illustration about apathy? High school teacher puts writes the word apathy on the chalkboard. Of course, it's a stereotype, but okay. Football player comes walking in, looks at the chalkboard, and he's like, ap, ap, apa, 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 ah, who cares? And walks away. That's apathy. Who cares? Whatever. Who cares? Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Shrug your shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. You ever talk to a teenager? Look, man, you're messing up your life. Look, what are you doing? Why are you dating her? What what do you do? Why are you hanging out with him? What do you yeah. shrug the shoulders? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. And even they don't say whatever outside, but everything in their body language is like, just stop talking. I don't care. I don't care about the words coming out of your mouth, right? A lot of Christians are just like, whatever. They're just apathetic. You can can teach them the Bible study methods. You can put curriculum in their hands. You can give them an app where they can listen to a million sermons. And guess what they will do? They won't listen. They won't participate. Because they don't care. I've been doing everything in my power since before I became a pastor to try to get Christians to study the Bible. I've done everything. 
I've bought people study guides. I've bought people notebooks and pencils and Bibles. I've spent money. I've tried to teach the methods to any person I can find. I've tried to come up with everything. As a pastor, I've tried to so many things to try to get people actually to participate. I've tried so many things, and so much of what I've attempted has proven to be a failure over and over and over and over again because there's just an apathy. It's just, I don't really care. I don't really, they just don't feel like, like, I don't, it's almost like, I hate to say this, but it almost comes like this. Look, I'm going to heaven. I don't need to study. Leave me alone. You know what? I believe in Jesus. I'll come to church. I don't hate God. I don't hate the word. I'll open up my Bible, may take a few sermon notes, but that, I mean, I don't, I don't need to do anything else. I don't want to do anything else. So just leave me alone. And there's no easy way to fix that. What I think when it comes to spiritual apathy, you can't fix it. That person has to see, they have to come face to face with their own apathy, be broken over it. And then I think once they're broken out of that spiritual apathy, I think the nat, to me personally, the natural kind of like where you should be just your, like your normal, just living your Christian life should be a hunger and desire for God's word. But I guess I think that, see, that's my, that's a wrong way of thinking. That's what I believe should be the normal Christian experience is you hunger and desire for God's word. But reality tells me that's not the normal experience of most Christians. And here's probably the most frustrating thing about this entire subject is it's almost impossible to get Christians in the pew to talk. They won't talk. When you try to get them, tell me why. They won't say anything. Because, because I think in many cases, they, they, they know that if they try to explain their apathy, or they try to explain why they don't study, if they try to explain their biblical illiteracy, they know it's going to scream out and condemn them. The only problem is the, it's the people in the pew who really possess the answer. Like if the answer is, look, I appreciate your concern, but feature a daily Bible study guide. I love these things, right? I think we're still live. I hope we're still live. Okay, we're going to have to wrap wrap this up. I'm not going to be able to give my final illustration. Let me see if we're still live. Are we still live? Please tell me we're still live. Please tell me we're still live. Please tell me. Please tell me. Please tell me. Please tell me we're still live. Okay. See here, I'm going to go. Are we still live? I'm not going to be able to give my final illustration. Okay. All right. All right. We're, we're live. All right. We're, it, it just started reconnecting. So we're having internet connections. Church one is completely down. So we're going to have to, we're going to have to wrap this up. I can't go into my final illustration. I will just say this. There's a crisis of biblical illiteracy in the church today. It's out of control. Nobody has any good solutions. Nobody. I've given some possible reasons for it. You can let me know what you think by emailing me at newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I cannot believe that at 9.30 p.m. we're still having internet problems. It is absolutely crazy. All right, I'm going to stop before I start crying. All right, email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great night. God bless.